You know, learning and training programs for employees do form a strong foundation for creating a so-called engaged and productive team, which is ultimately the key to a profitable and fulfilling practice. It is difficult to grow your practice if you cannot continuously teach and share with everyone the tasks and systems that make your practice work essentially and that help you to achieve its goals. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David List, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, and leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. FurPaws Consulting has deep expertise in helping veterinary practices reach their full potential for all types of practices, whether specialty, emergency, or general practice, by working alongside the practice owner and manager. Are you a practice owner or practice manager with a challenge and not enough bandwidth to tackle it? Reach out to me, Andrea Crabtree, owner of FurPaws Consulting, with the question that keeps you up at night. I'm able to provide expertise and insight to navigate those tricky obstacles. Find my info in the show notes. Email me at andrea at furpaws.us or check out my website at www.furpawsconsulting.com. All right. Welcome back to another Positive Leadership Podcast. We are so excited to have another super special guest on the pod today. Sanjay Mangabai is the founder of The Vet Method. Dr. Sanjay is holds an MRCVS credential and has a BVSC. Dr. Sanjay, welcome to the program. Welcome to the show, Dr. Sanjay. Hi, David. Hi, Andrea. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yes. Oh, awesome. So without having to read your bio, because of course, on the Positive Leadership Podcast, we don't read stuffy bios here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Please tell us and the listeners about yourself. Okay, well, I guess I'll start at the beginning. I was born in Harare in Zimbabwe. And incidentally, Harare um, was previously called Salisbury. And it's odd that I've ended up living in Salisbury in the UK. So it seems like this was my destiny somehow. Yeah, right. That's cool. (laughs) I graduated in Zimbabwe in 1989. I was actually part of the fourth intake in a very new veterinary school in Zimbabwe at the time. I've been a vet for 33 years. I worked in Zimbabwe for about four years. Then I got married, came to the UK roughly 29 years ago, essentially on a working holiday. The idea was to earn some money and open a practice. Having my own practice was always a vision, even as soon as I had graduated. As it turns out, I've been a practice owner for just about 20 years, starting with a single site, a one-vet practice, and growing it into a group of three. In that time, I documented a multitude of practice protocols and processes and developed very specific training systems 
for organizing and optimizing the productivity of the team of eventually 23 across the group. And recently, I also published my first book. So I have what I call genuine hands-on, in-the-trenches experience with dealing daily with the busyness, you know, the challenges, the endless decisions that Vetme practice entails, all the while developing the business to grow and run successfully without me working directly in it, which was my goal. Then I sold it just over two years ago, just before COVID. That's amazing. Yeah. You got out just on time. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and we're so excited to dig in more into mm-hmm. what you were talking about. I mean, I can't wait because figuring out a system for the madness that is veterinary medicine on a daily basis, mm-hmm. my gosh, you know, what else would be so great? So we always like to ask our guests, you come across and have probably read tons of content. You've probably been to many, many courses and, and lectures and all kinds of stuff. So in that time that you've come across, do you have a favorite book or podcast or a CE course or a class that's left a really lasting effect on you? And would you share that with us and the listeners? Yes, absolutely. So the thing that probably transformed my life, at least my business life and even my personal life, was a book I read by Michael Gerber, The E-Myth, where he presents the idea that just because you know how to do the technical bits of a job or of a profession, that doesn't mean that you know how to run a business. So early on when I started um, when I opened my practice, I came across this book and it really struck a chord with me because that's exactly what I was doing. I thought that, you know, I time I thought maybe I'm a fairly good vet and I can do this. I can run a business. And, and as it turns out, everything he said in the book turned out to be true. I was too busy working in the business and no time really to work on it, you know, to do inconsequential things like marketing. <laughs> So what I did was I had a job, not a business. My life was essentially serving the practice instead of the practice serving my life. And I then started developing a business that depended on systems rather than people. And my hope was that it would run without my direct input eventually. And it was largely based on the ideas that Michael Gerber presented in that book and in some other books that he uh, that he wrote as well. And developing a team training system was an important part of that for me. So yeah, that influenced me a lot. That's excellent. I love that. And have you ever read The Emith Veterinarian that was co-written? Yeah. Yes, with Peter Weinstein. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, it it just reiterates exactly what he says in the the book, in the original book. Yes, I love it. He's actually a good friend of David and I. He's amazing. I I love that concept of trying to make the problem not trying but making sure that the whatever you need to do to make the practice run self-sufficiently instead of bottlenecking through the practice owner or the veterinarian absolutely you know even 20 years ago when i first started my business recruitment was a challenge and starting at least for me maybe it was a reflection of my abilities to recruit but you know it was unpredictable the team was un- unpredictable etc and the whole idea of having a business that ran on systems and then you teach people to run the systems really resonated with me at the time. Yes, I would agree. Mm. So you're known for the veterinary employee team training or the VETT in your company. So tell me a little bit about why team training is so important to you and why you think it needs to start with the practice owner. Okay. So there's two aspects to that. I'll start with why I think it's so important. First of all, you know, learning and training programs for employees do form a strong foundation for creating a so-called engaged and productive team, which is ultimately the key to a profitable 
and fulfilling practice. It is difficult to grow your practice if you cannot continuously teach and share with everyone the tasks and systems that make your practice work essentially and that help you to achieve its goals. So, you know, training underpins everything for me. And I soon discovered that when I opened my practice, it wasn't in one go, it was kind of a stepwise process. And also, you know, just to make it relevant in today's world, in today's world, with the recruitment challenges that we're facing, the ability to easily and quickly train and then retrain employees, I think, is a distinct advantage right now. In my humble opinion, it's, I think it's the defining attribute for success in modern veterinary practice. Yeah. And I love the fact that you say continual training, right? It's not one and done. It's continual. Yes. You know, people think training stops at induction. You know, 80, yeah, 60% right. of training happens during induction, but people yeah. do reminding, reminding how yeah. to do the job, what's important. Yes, absolutely. It's such a blind spot. I, I see this all the time where we hire somebody, we train them in mostly what is a pretty haphazard way. We show them one time how to do the 17 clicks that it takes to put a new client into mm-hmm. the system. And then a week later, we're mad at them that they can't do it. Or not a week later, but maybe a month later, or even three months later, they haven't done one of the skills that they learned in their orientation, right? And then you say, but, yeah. but I showed this to you three months ago, and you're sitting there thinking, nobody retains that if they don't practice it. So yeah, Dr. Sanjay, I think it's great that you identified that. Yeah, <laughs> You have been a previous practice owner, and I love how in your bio, you talked about how you've been in the trenches. So you've owned a practice, you are a veterinarian. And so you've done both of those jobs. And believe me, we know that being an owner and a veterinarian can be really tough. So when you were an owner, what did training look like for you? You know, before you developed the vet method, how did you handle training with you and you had a practice manager, how that worked? And then can you tell us a little bit about how that has evolved and now what it looks like in the practices that you currently consult in? Absolutely. That's a really good question. It wasn't a seamless process. I was, you know, you have this vision when you start of how you're going to have this perfect practice and everybody was going to be treated absolutely fantastic. Clients are going to be amazing. It would all just work out. But sadly, that wasn't the case. I became frustrated very early on. I became frustrated that we only haphazardly kind of achieved the standards that we had originally envisaged for the practice. Even at that time, I really wanted to grow the practice and I just didn't know what my next step was going to be. We needed everyone. In reality, when we started employing more people, we needed everyone to sing from the same hymn book, so to speak. So we started with documenting just a few things. What I thought at the time were essential services, you know, things like client greeting, telephone answering, making a recommendation for neutering, you know, pre-op calls, post-op calls, those kind of things. We developed scripts so that everybody was talking in roughly the same way. And we started with just a few, a few things. When that seemed to work. It seemed to make training a little bit easier. We expanded that to include most of the common product and services that we offered at the practice, you know, including things like pre-anesthetic blood testing, fluid therapy, pet insurance, nutrition, neutering. Those eventually grew to what we call in the vet method, the pillars of practice. And they are kind of the foundational things that everybody in practice needs to know. Receptionist to the veterinarian. Soon, a few pages became quite a large file. As we started uh, documenting every single task, protocol, and process that we could think of, and, you know, for every job in the practice, the idea was to create a job description that was actually used in the training of all new hires, especially. You know, when you give people a a job description at an interview, that's probably the only time they look at it, and then it's forgotten about and, you know, filed away. 
And um, what documenting meant is that we didn't have to depend on one-on-one training, which, as I'm sure people know, is time-consuming and it's unpredictable, unreliable, really. It prevented relying on discretion, which is often the enemy of repeatable standards because you have a document that people can refer to and the training is the same for every single person every single time. What it did was it standardized things for us. Anybody can do a job well once, but to do it you know, well time and time again, it takes a, str- um, a system and it takes a strategy. So hmm. as things grew, we then found that the training was difficult for people to access you know, in a paper format, in a file format. And also, we did need to continuously kind of edit it as we developed and things changed. We found better ways of doing things. And so we looked and found an online platform to transfer all that information onto and to make it easy to access and to edit. Initially, we found a system by Touchstone Business Systems. That was around about 2007, 2008. And eventually, we moved everything onto a, um, a platform called Trainio, and really good system, which I would highly recommend. And we use that, and we've been using that for the last six or seven years. Yeah, so everything is in I one place. I love that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm so excited to look into it. I've never heard that before. Trainio, I've heard about that, too. I've not yeah. used it, but it, it's, it's a platform where you can develop, you can upload content and it develops a wow, training that's fantastic. book for you, right, Dr. Sanjay? Is that kind of absolutely, what it is? Absolutely. I and, mean, you know, that's it great. does so much more than that. You know, you can upload videos, yeah. templates, checklists. That's awesome. And the staff have access yeah. to it. So a lot of companies talk about culture and what it was in the beginning when they founded, say, the practice or a startup or something, and then mm-hmm. how it gets changed and diluted. I mean, I know that's a weird way to start a question, but I have a point. So mm-hmm. I want to know your thoughts on why you think, and I have my own opinion, which is, of course, why I'm leading the question, <laughs> but I want to know what your thoughts are on why you feel strongly, and I think you do, that this all has to come from the practice owner. Why is the trickle down? It doesn't mean that the manager can't influence or support or add or do all these things, mm-hmm. but why do you think that it really has to start at the top and trickle down? Yeah, well, because it's challenging. You know, it's easier said than done. And for those reasons, it's easy to procrastinate over. And the, the practice ma- owner, the practice manager does set the tone. You know, it's difficult to actually walk the talk. Yeah, I would agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, so the practice owners, the practice managers need to have the right mindset to make implementing a training system like that a priority and keep driving it because you are going to come across obstacles invariably. You know, people won't like it. People didn't like some of the things that we were doing. You know, they felt like they were being robotic and things like that. But we wanted to establish standards, a a predictable standard. And you do come across objections. And, you know, I have made mistakes. I've implemented things that didn't work, but I could have easily given up. So we also wanted to set a culture that starts at day one, that we're learning and development starts at day one in the practice. And it develops continue, you know, sort of continuously throughout one's career. Some people think when they qualify, they're done. You know, I did qualified, done. I even kept all my books from university thinking I'd refer to them again. Never did. But learning is a is a lifelong thing. And if we can establish that culture early on, then it helps with introducing new things. And as you know, the veterinary world changes constantly at the moment, always has done, and it'll be easier to adapt to the changing environment. So you talk about change and how employees almost balk at or have concerns with, if you will, don't, mm-hmm. don't always yeah. follow along with protocols or chains, or like you said, if it's robotic, what is it that 
you do in those situations where we need to roll out change or update a protocol or try something different. And yes, it may be wrong. Like you said, we may not always do it, get it right, mm-hmm. but it's better, you know, definition of insanity, right? Doing it the same yeah. way over and over again. How are yeah. some of the ways that you were able to handle change with employees and when they are resistant to it? Yeah, well, one way to get buy-in. So we looked at some key people in the practice, you know, like, kind of like your head nurse, your manager. You know, when you have multiple vets, you look at the vet who is that everyone looks up to, okay? And it was important for us to get buy-in. When we started developing this, it wasn't a sudden thing, though, I have to say. It was a, a gradual thing. So we started with one or two tasks. They became more, and it became part of the culture of the practice. That This is just yeah. how we yeah. did things here. It's kind of like making your operations manual a living thing. Yes. Uh, a lot of people have an operations manual. You know, this is the way we do things here. But they kind of have it and then it gets shelved on a bookshelf. To make that a living document, you've got to constantly refer to it. So instead of telling people how to do things again, you know, like David said, you've got to re-explain things. And you say, I've only taught you that last week. We started referring them to the manual. And yeah, they, go there and first they, and check it out. And, yeah. and then check it out and then come back and ask questions. And it seemed to work. And yes, there were individuals that it never resonated with. You know, role play, I remember, was something that uh, I'm Super sorry. uncomfortable for oh, people. Yeah. Super <laughs> uncomfortable. People refused to do it. I'm sure I had one or two employees that left because of it. But, you know, they'd rather have teeth pulled rather than do a role play. Yeah, yeah. And but, I love uh, that you say you got to get buy-in too because I feel like that's important from the key people on the team and it's not yes. always leadership right it's not always managers or supervisors it's people that have influence over the rest of the team i, I think that's really important yeah. yeah that was key you know we hired a practice manager a few years after i started has to be said and uh, everything went through her you know and she was the the key person well, that's a bottleneck yeah. yeah yeah so you're located in the uk and you mm-hmm. are very familiar with practices here in the states and so mm-hmm. i would assume that a veterinary practice is a veterinary practice regardless mm-hmm. of where they are so tell me a little bit about some similarities and some differences from practices mm-hmm. here versus practices over there. Yeah, absolutely. So similarities, you know, pets and pet owners and the problems they suffer are basically the same the world over. And so managing a practice presents very similar challenges everywhere. I attended various conferences in the U.S., especially NAVC. I think it's called VMX now. And found yeah. that things across the pond, the challenges that people had were very similar. You know, practice can be complicated. There's so much to do, especially when you start growing. Hectic busyness, unrelenting distractions, people making reactive decisions, and randomly implementing most things. So those were frustrations in the UK, you know, mainly frustrations of staffing, time, and, you know, lackluster performance. And it was the same across where you guys are in the US. Despite working very hard, people still had very similar problems. So, um you know, managing a practice, the work that we do, I felt was very similar. And I was a big fan of coming over to the conferences uh, in the States. Awesome. Um, and as far as differences in the UK, there are a few kind of important ones, especially early on. One, it's not common to have nurses or you guys call them technicians in the consulting rooms, in the exam rooms, you know, helping the vet and, oh. and, and all that. No, it's pretty uncommon. Okay. A little different. Oh. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Mm-hmm. COVID started to change that when we didn't let clients in, then someone else had to be in the room holding the pet. But we adopted that idea again from the U.S. early on, you know, um, okay. I think 2008, 2009. Also in the U.K., 
we have a national health service for people where the concept is of free healthcare for everyone, free in, in kind of in, in inverted commas. But what that means is that people generally don't know how much medical healthcare costs. And mm. so it made it quite difficult for a vet, you know, who's now charging private fees to convey the value of veterinary healthcare. You know, they didn't yeah. know what the cost of a blood test was and that bulk at the cost of it was actually compared to the human cost of a blood test, mm-hmm. they were getting really good value in a veterinary practice. Mm. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. We do face the same thing here. I'm not sure if you've come across that when you've consulted with practices, but I mean, Andrea can attest that we face a lot of the same um, sticker shock, right, Mm -hmm. with like not knowing the value. I think we use that insurance thing. I don't want to say it's like an excuse in a bad way, but like we use the insurance thing to say, you know, people just do not know the cost of care. But it is, you know, in America, we pay it. Well, I know that it's, you know, the nationalized healthcare is different, but in America, we pay a premium, but it's the same idea. Mm-hmm. And there's like, it's very hard to get a hold of your hospital bill, you know, to look uh, at it, right? Because it yeah. just goes to the insurance company. So, you know, they don't know. But then when you're bringing your pet into the hospital, you know, to the vet hospital, it's the same thing. They look at it. And, and if you've ever seen a hospital bill, I have, they're exactly like mm-hmm. veterinary medicine. They're all detailed line item. that will yeah. say, yeah. you know, yeah. nurse care per shift. I mean, it's exactly the same thing. It'll usually be about 10 X, mm-hmm. but you know what we charge, but yeah. So if we're thinking about how to start this whole process, so, you know, Dr. Sanjay, you obviously, you don't want to give away your consulting secrets, but you start engaging yeah. with the practice and they say, our team members run around all over the place. We don't know what the heck we're doing. And, and as you mentioned, there aren't any systems that are just kind of operating like a flywheel, right? They're just going, yeah. so we don't have any of that. So what's the first step that a practice can take to start integrating team training in their practices? And then where does it go from there? Okay, so that's, oh, that's a really good question. Um, they first have to understand the goal of, of team training, you know, like we talked about earlier. You know, you want to have an engaged team, higher performance, higher productivity, which then leads to higher revenues, more time, more satisfaction, which is what everybody wants a veterinary practice. And I would suggest that they need to look at what frustrates them the most. Where are the things that are, you know, that they envisaged kind of initially that are not happening? And you need to identify what we call a training gap. Training is a solution only if there's a gap that needs to be filled. Yes. Yeah, right. So once you identify a training gap, then you can focus on that. And kind of typically, it can vary to what's frustrating you the most. You know, usually it's inventory control, maybe hospital hygiene routines, you know, maintenance and stocking. Is it that you don't have enough appointments? Is timekeeping an issue? Are there things that the team are doing commonly that are not quite right, you know, common mistake? So once you identify those, then you can start to kind of develop a system, if you like, or just a a way of managing those. So that's the beginning of your system. You write it down so that everybody then does it in the same way. And then those problems start to melt away. Yeah. So. Yeah, the gap. I think that's important when we realize that what are we training? Exactly. And it's the gap of the skill set, right? Where whatever that skill set is, fill the gap with the training. I think oftentimes we train on things that, we don't necessarily need to train on. And so again, it goes back to buy-in. There's no team buy-in on that. Yes. But when you train the, in the gap, then there's, you know, they realize that, oh, I don't know how to do this. And so it's important for me to do yeah. better in my job. So train the gap, yeah. Absolutely. And you know, you, there are so many things to think about in veterinary practice, but you've got to think about the things that have the highest impact on 
whatever your goal is. If it's more revenues, then maybe you need to be thinking about how you can get more procedures booked in. How do you do that? You know, if it's clients that are complaining about yeah, something. education. Yeah. yeah. Then we need to find out how do we stop that. So find the things that have the highest impact initially, and then you can work on the rest. Yeah, that's very true. I want to make one point to kind of underpin all of this that I think is just really, really important. If all of you listeners out there listen to Dr. Sanjay and, you know, have listened to some of our other podcasts on training, there seems to be a little bit of this fear of repetition or scripting or procedures and policies, kind of SOPs. Mm -hmm. But I will guarantee you that that will solve the clinic burnout issue. I guarantee you that will solve the clinic burnout issue. Because what we're doing is we're trying to go from a level of demand and productivity, say, three, five, 10 years ago to Mm -hmm. a quote unquote new world. And it hurts and it's tough. And I'm not saying this for, say, the emergency practices that have 3000 people sitting in their lobby. But for a general practice to go from, say, doing three spays a day to five or to doing from two dentals a day to three, it Mm -hmm. can be done. And it's done by shaving off one to two minutes of all of the tasks that from the client check into the wet table, which Mm -hmm. ends up being 30 minutes to an hour of save time. And then you can end up cranking out more, Mm -hmm. you know, more procedures, which will solve that. You know, I'm talking to all my listeners, the demand is not going away. We have a ton Mm -hmm. of new pet owners, and we've got a ton of people who have now realized that vet care is relatively accessible. So we Mm -hmm. have to meet that demand. And so I love Dr. Sanjay, how you talk about all of this. And I just I want to also frame it to say this doesn't just make your clinic, you know, more profitable or, or uh, revenue or things like that. But it'll also, you know, productivity and efficiency will allow team members to do more tasks in the same amount mm-hmm. of time yes. and make them all easier, you know? So it's super, super important. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I couldn't echo that anymore. You know, one of the things that we do that's a, a saying in, a, in, in the practices when I own them, you know, we actually timed things. So how long does it take to get from induction to theater? And you can shave off a minute here, a minute there, when people are just focused on it and they know that it should take only so long. So it was, it was about establishing standards and sometimes doing things simultaneously instead of one after the other. There are ways yeah. that you can do that. So you make a good point about efficiency. Dr. Sanjay, you have six R key points in your training. And I mm-hmm. say the R in there with some emphasis because it actually is a, a key point in your training. Can you talk yes. a little bit about the six R key points you have? Absolutely. I like the R's because it kind of rolls off your tongue <laughs> in a way. But um, the first <laughs> R stands for role. And it's all about job role clarity. So this is about making the job real clear, really obvious by documenting all the roles, all the tasks, using templates and protocols and simple instructions, because, you know, people need to have an idea of their responsibilities, what their expected standards are, and also alignment with what the practice is trying to achieve. Vague descriptions, so, you know, will invariably produce vague performance. So it needs to be really clear what the job role is. The second R is about requirements. So this is really about what's needed in a practice, you know, in the training that you're trying to achieve. And I break it down into the right skills. So, you know, those are the essential everyday tasks, if you like, that will result in a high standard of what you're trying to do. Then also the right knowledge, because the right knowledge will demonstrate expertise and trustworthiness, if you like. And then the right behaviors. These are skills mainly regarding dealing with people. And when you talk about skills, knowledge, and behaviors, you know, you can write a book on each, but it's about discriminating the important from the not so important. 
And there's only a few things in each thing that are vitally important. The third R is about resources. So we use things like workbooks, videos, how-to guides, checklists, and demonstrations to show people how things ought to be done. You know, we talked about showing them what a good job looks like. Just reading about it isn't enough. You've got to show them and just manage the expectations of how things need to be done. So the fourth R is about rollout. That's just another word for implementation. So we talked about random acts of implementation. When you have a strategy, a documented strategy with a defined plan for how the training is going to happen, you know, for example, with a new hire from day zero, the day they join the company, up to six months in, you know, to the time where they end, they end their kind of probation, then things are not left to chance. So, you know, we have flow charts that help with that and uh, the things that should be achieved by certain timestamps, uh, if you like. The fifth R is about, about reports. As you know, you can't, if you can't measure it, you can't grow it. So we talked about having specific goals for the training. Sometimes these will be specific KPIs, and the common ones are things like revenue, profits, satisfaction levels for clients and for staff. And then you look at those and you see if what you're doing is actually helping, is actually working. And the sixth R, um, it's actually two R's, review and refining. So you review the actual training every few months and adjust it if necessary. And part of the review includes having what we call regular performance development meetings, which is essentially these little mini meetings which check in with staff every one to two weeks, you know, and the meetings are no more than about 10 minutes long. But the idea is to set objectives, evaluate performance, motivate them, celebrate small wins, and adjust uh, their performance if it needs it. So essentially, those are the six R's, but obviously it's a very shortened description of, of each one. I love it. That was so much information. I was just writing yeah, down like, as quickly fantastic. as I can. I know, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, on the show, we always like to kind of tackle a little bit of some of the issues or mistakes. We call them mistakes, gentle mistakes that practices mm -hmm. make when trying to implement some of the stuff that we talk about on the pod, because we bring on so many experts in their field. And we all know that you take two steps forward, one step back, or you fall mm -hmm. on your face. So what are three common mistakes that veterinary practices make when mm -hmm. training new team members? Not necessarily implementing a training program, but literally doing the training. What are some of the mistakes we're making? Okay, well, again, that's a really good question. Well, the first one is stuff we've talked about earlier. Now, no clarity of the job role. So this is all about having absolute clarity on what to do, how to do it, when to do it, and why it needs to be done. Because without clarity, the job is confusing, you know, decision-making becomes impossible. And then the standards for, for success are essentially unknown. Um, I think I said it before, vague descriptions produce vague performance. And it isn't long before employees, if, you know, if they don't have an accurate idea of what they're supposed to do, they either give up and leave, or even worse, they stay with the practice and resort to trying to look busy instead of doing what they really should be doing. They do what's convenient and easy and unimportant instead of the real work that needs to be done. And it's really not their fault sometimes because they just haven't been given a clear idea of what they're supposed to be doing at work, You know uh, what their responsibilities are, what their expected standards are, and the processes and tasks that they're supposed to do and how it aligns with the practice goals. You know, People need to know why their job matters. And that's part of having a clear job role. The second thing is having no clear strategy for training. You know, you mentioned about random acts of training. 
But I liken it to having a sat-nav in your car. What do you guys call it? A GPS, I think? Yes, sat-nav? GPS, yeah. yes. So you get lost without a sat-nav, right? If you haven't been to a place you've never been to before. You need a clear pathway to success, a defined kind of destination like you put into your sat-nav. And that would be the outcome or the objectives that you want. And you need to know how to get there using the shortest route in the quickest time. So in a way, you need a clear roadmap, you know, with simple step-by-step instructions that are easy to implement and that will save you the pain and misery that the journey of having a practice can often cause. Because as you know, you know, it doesn't matter how good your car is or how how fast you're going. If you're driving in the wrong direction, then you're never going to get there, right? Third thing is that I see people making a mistake. So one thing, you know, no clear job role clarity no strategy for the training. And the third thing is trying to do everything. Wilfredo Pareto was right. You know, yeah, you must have heard of the 80-20 principle where 80% yeah. of the effects come from 20% of the causes. And if you try to do everything, then you end up not doing anything well at all. My suggestion is to focus on the very few really important things that give the maximum benefit, the 80-20 rule, in other words. You can achieve more by doing less, it seems counterintuitive, but if you focus on the right things and there are just a few things, then you will get the results that you desire. You know, inevitably focusing on the wrong things, you get the wrong revenue, you know, you yes. get the wrong results, poor revenue, poor profits, etc. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. On the flip side of that, what are one or two things that we can do in our practice, like start tomorrow, like this afternoon? What is it that we can do right away with training? Okay, well, the first thing is to sit down and have some quiet time and decide what's frustrating you. You know, we talked about the training gap. Training shouldn't be haphazard. It should solve the problem that you're currently having. And it's going to be different for a lot of practices. You know, is it a gap in skills? Is it a gap in knowledge? Is it a gap in the way people behave? You know, what's not working? And then we've got to figure out how do we put that right? So that's, and start with one thing. Just start with one thing and just start. Yeah. Okay. Move the needle one little bit. Yeah. That's right. So that's what I've done. I would suggest to do just change the one thing that's not right or the one thing you're trying to achieve. One of the things I find commonly in practices when we talk about training is there's no time, there's no time, we're busy. And mm-hmm. I get very frustrated with that because if, you know, you talked earlier about making it a part of our culture, if mm-hmm. we don't make it a part of our culture and we don't make time and we don't control the flow of what's coming in our practice, mm-hmm. then that skills gap is always going to be there. And mm-hmm. I want to like rip my hair out when people tell me I don't have time. Yeah. And I think, how do you not have time? Is Absolutely. there any advice you can give us on how we can make that a part of our culture and force training to be at the top of the list? Yeah, I am. Absolutely. So the time thing is just, you know, everyone is really so busy, but we just need to stop. We need to stop and think. And I find, you know, we don't have the time to stop and think, but really, we do need to try and determine where we are and how we can solve some of the issues that we're having. And training solves a lot of that. It's about leveraging your team because when you leverage your team to do the things they're supposed to be doing, that's what will give you the time. That's what will free up the time. But, it, you know, I'm not going to kind of sugarcoat this. Though. Up front, you do need to invest the time in developing these protocols, you know, these um, in documenting everything. So that your team can be leveraged, they can become more effective and more efficient, because that's the only way to free up time. You know, in the practice, yeah. one of our strategies here was that the vet should only be doing things that a vet is licensed to do. So diagnosing, prescribing, operating, advising, 
yes. those kind of things. And everything else can be done by someone else who has had the relevant training. You know, for example, when we recommend pet insurance or you recommend a dental, the vet, all the vet has to say, we need to do a dental. But the, the nurse can then take over and elaborate once they've yes. had the training. Because the say it again for the people in the back. I yeah. love that. Yes. The vets always complain about not having enough time. But the way to have more time is to leverage the support staff. Help yeah. them help the vet. Receptionists can make recommendations on parasite control, et cetera, and diets and things. But they've got to have the relevant training. And yeah. so that will free up time. But it does take an input of time initially to start developing it. And it's that mindset we talked about, a commitment, you know, to follow through with it when it gets difficult. And yeah. there's never going to be a right time. You know, like the Nike slogan, you just got to do it. Just, just do, it. do it. Yes, yeah. I agree. If you could give one piece of advice, I know I asked you for some just a few minutes ago, but give us another piece of advice. What would that be and, and why that? The one thing I would focus on in the training, I call them the key points. You've got to remember that you can't do everything and remember that not everything matters. If you follow the principle that we talked about, the Pareto principle, 80-20, mm -hmm. you, can 80 mm -hmm. you can also 80-20 the 80-20, you know, kind of thing. And get <laughs> <Right>. on to, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you can find the things that really matter. You know, we just can't do everything. We talked about being too busy. And that's sometimes because we don't discriminate between what's worth doing and what's not worth doing. You know, what's bringing us closer to the goal? Whether If that's revenues, what's worth doing that's going to make us do that? If everyone's complaining, what's worth doing that's going to do that? Mm -hmm. yeah. and you can't just pick anything hap haphazardly. And you've got to sit down and think about the few things that really matter. You can only be become really good, become masterful at a few things. You just can't do everything. And I, and yeah, I feel can't do it all. I, I mm -hmm. see people trying to do everything. And then, you know, whichever is the biggest frustration, then we'll lash onto that for a while. Whereas we need to put some thought into it and start changing that. So I'd say focus on the key points. Everything can be broken down to the essentials. What's essential about it? What do we really need to do here? And it often is two or three things. Yes, yeah, I'll, I would I'll, agree. I'll, I'll just add one more thing. I mean, when before COVID, when a lot of um, sales reps come to the practice and they give us lunch and learns, I don't know if that happens in the States, where they talk about a product. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Half an hour, an hour, and then they go and hopefully everyone buys things. But the mistake they used to always make, in my opinion anyway, was that they didn't leave us with two or three things that everybody could remember. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. by the time, all we remembered was how good or bad the lunch was. But, right. uh, yeah. but they needed to tell us two or three things to easily remember about the product or the service. Because in the consulting room, when, you have, when you're under time pressure as a vet, as a nurse, when a client is standing in front of you, if you're not absolutely sure about what you're talking about, if you don't know two or three things about a particular product or service, what I found was that, they just didn't go there. They'd rather not mention it. It's worthless it. then. Yeah. 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 And, so, and so they'd come in, they'd do this lunch and learn, and then we're not selling or prescribing the product. And that's because they'd forgotten. You know, they'd just forgotten. Yeah, I like it when they role play. Okay, how yeah. are we going to talk to a client about this? Because I feel like that, again, of course, the staff feel, you know, super uncomfortable with it. Absolutely. But it does help them under mm -hmm. grab those key points, right, and then be able to, mm -hmm. to you know, talk to a client about yeah. it in, in that moment. So Okay, yep. So we have these encounters either with a client or maybe an employee or um, uh, for you, maybe your practice manager, someone somehow, some way where there's a moment of just pure shock. Your chin hits the ground, you know, palm goes to your forehead and you just say, no freaking way this shit just happened. I can't make it up. Can you share a story with us? Yeah, 
Well, something that springs to mind is um, quite a few years ago when a client came into the practice very frustrated that they simply could not get this tick off their dog's belly. Despite trying everything, and they were pulling it, squeezing it, rubbing it, using a tick remover, they tried really hard. Turned out they were trying to remove the dog's teeth, which were just a dog. <laughs> oh, right. And you know, it was bruise and bleed. <laughs> poor dog. <laughs> the oh, poor dog. <laughs> well, you know, in fairness, it was a you know quite a hairy breed. <laughs> oh but, uh, my! But oh, she was really funny. aghast with embarrassment, and it was difficult to hide my somewhat yeah. uh, amused smile. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. So at this point in the show, we're going to go into the rapid fire. Tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. When we forgot to do a wholesaler price update on our flea and worm products for about two years. Tell me about your proudest moment. I guess I have to say, apart from my marriage and children... My proudest moment has to be in realizing the dream, the dream of owning a a group of practices. Why veterinary medicine? What do you just love about our profession? For me, it was about the variety, you know, the practicality, working with my hands, consulting, dentistry. I love the idea of performing operations and, you know, uh, working on a variety of species. Self-care. How do you practice it? How do you decompress? I started running putting on a bit of weight. I started running about 14 or 15 years ago. I still do. It helps to clear my head. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience any work guilt in that balance? I balance things by knowing that I can't know and do everything and that I don't have to pretend that I do. What keeps you up at night? Things that stress you out or cause you anxiety in your new consulting business? I stress about being able to make a positive impact on others. And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? I spend the first hour sort of just having some quiet time all to myself. I'm excited to do that most mornings now. It took a while. It took about five or six months to get used to it. Awesome. Oh, my gosh, Dr. Sanjay, thank, thank you, you so Dr. much Sanjay. for coming This was on. great. It was lovely. Great to have you on. No, you're welcome. And thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Can you tell us where we can find you at The Vet Method? The Vet Method uh, with a double T. So it's The Vet, V-E-T-T, Method, M-E-T-H-O-D.com. And your podcast. And the podcast. So it's on the website. There's a tab uh, which has a link for all the podcasts that I've done. And there's about, you know, we knew we've done about 50 so far. There's, I think there's 40 on the website. Fantastic. Thank Amazing. you, Dr. Sanjay. Yeah, thank, you, thank you. you. Have a great rest of your week. You too. Thank you. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. 
check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever is expressly disclaimed.